It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And as always, I'm so delighted that you are tuning in again. Here in the studio with me, Dr. Steve Ford, and we are continuing in a very serious discussion on Christians and the government. This is a series now in which we're going to be looking at a number of topics that typically divide Christians, and that is not what we are supposed to do or be. We're not to be a divided people of God, but these topics often create some sort of a a divisive concern or perspective within the church where we get very hardened, we hold to a particular view And then we try to find scriptures to support that particular view, an eisegetical perspective, which we just read scriptures into, we read our perspectives into text, and then use those texts to support a particular very divisive viewpoint often, and we get hardened in that, and then we reject brothers and sisters over these views. What we want to do is take you right back to scripture and just say, what does the Bible say about these matters so that we're not a divided People. That's exactly where Satan wants us to be. And we read in Romans chapter 15, we're supposed to be of one mind and one voice as we glorify the God of heaven and earth. But let me just tell you the subjects we're going to be covering over these next many weeks. So it's going to take us probably through the rest of the summer as we cover these. Today, we're talking about Christians and the government. This is part two in that study. They're going to be going into American exceptionalism, social justice, the topic of abortion, homosexuality, pornography, war, environmentalism, religious pluralism, and yes, even this very tough subject of evil. Why is there evil in the world? So today we're continuing in this discussion on Christians and the government. So again, I have already told you he's here, and I'm so glad he's here. Dr. Ford, always good to have you in the studio, my friend. Thank you, John. Always good to be here. And these divisive topics that we're covering, I'm just thinking about Jesus' admoni- admonition about unity in the church, unity in his followers, and that other people outside the body of Christ would know that we are his followers because of the love that we have for each other. Mm-hmm. And so many times these issues can get in the way and separate us uh, from really doing the Lord's work and hearing his call in our lives and continuing to build the kingdom. They're, they're distractions. That's right. And, you know, it's so often we put an emphasis on trying to understand, and the reason why I say emphasis is because I see the YouTube numbers and I hear from other pastors, there's a lot of emphasis right now on prophecy. Right. And so the subjects that I have just conveyed often kind of get pushed to the back, and yet we're, we're very divided over them. And then you can see there from that list of 10, we're not even talking about prophecy. But if you are, as you're listening to this, interested in, in getting a real biblical perspective on prophecy, we are studying that at church right now. In fact, our services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., and we're going through the book of Daniel. In order to go through the book of Ta- Daniel, you'll have to go through all the 18 prophetic books of Scripture, at least allude to them in some way, and pull it all together to get the thematic thread that runs through time. And so that really is going to be our emphasis through the rest of the year as we're talking about prophecy. So you're going to get all of that. So if, if what we've talked about here on the radio and you're going, okay, that encompassed with where we are in the timeline of events. I, I want to learn a little bit more about that, too. You can get that. Go to calvaryfountain.com to learn more. Yeah, you've told us before when we were discussing the book of Revelation that so many people are fascinated by it. You can't really understand that book without those other prophetic books, but especially the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. That's right. And this one is 
Uh, I love studying the book of Daniel just because he gives us such a snapshot of you. you. You step back from all of human history and you see then everything that led up to the first coming of Jesus Christ and then ultimately to the second coming of Jesus Christ and his glorious reign on the earth. What couldn't you be more excited by? I mean, right. that, that's really it. Is We're supposed to be celebrating this. Look what the sequence of events led up to the first coming. And, and then he gives us this hope to say, it's going to happen again. So be of good cheer, brothers. Yeah. The idea that we're not so much looking for the Antichrist, we're looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And that's, <laughs> that's right. really where we need to keep our focus. Yeah. So I don't want you to think for a moment that as we're going through these topics on the air, that somehow we've taken our eyes off the prize. We're still studying the Word of God verse by verse there at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Again, learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Let me give you a little bit of a snapshot of where we were last week as we were talking about government in this role of Christians and the government. What we really were looking at last week is what has happened in America, because I think all of us can at least say that at some point we believe that America was and maybe in some way is still a Christian nation but not behaving like a Christian nation, most certainly. It seems that when you look at what's happened to the home, uh, when you look at the breakdown of families, you look at what's happening with the prominence of homosexuality and transgenderism and all this sexual immorality running, running amok and being glorified in our culture today, what's happened in school systems, and of course what's happening in government, you could really have a good question there when you say, are we truly a Christian nation? Because we know that Psalm 33, 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We're going to spend time on that as we go into the study of American exceptionalism and how that thought process came about. But we know that at some point in our history, and you need only to be a student of history in America to know that there were Judeo-Christian values that established this nation. We were rooted in that. Our whole legal system, our, our government, governance, certainly an understanding of the role of the family and church and government and how they all were supposed to exchange ideas and complement and hold each other accountable. Of course, even knowing God's word and what it was studied in the school system of the New England primer, the first curriculum in America was given so that people would not only know how to read and write, but to read and understand the Bible to hold the government accountable to the things of God. So last week, we spent some time talking about when all of these moorings started to break down, and we can see that happening right after World War II. It's not that there was something new, but especially after World War II, we were very focused on what was happening globally. Thereafter, what began in what we can pinpoint of November 20th, 1946, there became a series of legislation that went out, or at least what started off as is a Supreme Court issues in which people were questioning uh, the separation of church and state, which we know is not a constitutional issue. This was from the Danbury letters, and, and President Thomas Jefferson in 1801 received a series of letters from the Danbury Baptist Association. Then suddenly all of us became, well, that's a constitutional issue of the separation of church and state. No, these were letters that were written to the newly elected president at that time. And so what happened then in 1946 is a number of these things began being challenged in the court of law, especially at the Supreme Court level. 
And then the rulings that came thereafter started to separate government from anything religion and became hostile toward the things of Judeo-Christian values that made this nation what it was and what it should still be. If there's not a move of God across this nation, we are seeing the eroding of everything that made this nation great. In fact, 21 of the founding fathers declared that America was under God. Even the Mayflower Compact declared that this nation was for the advancement of the Christian faith. And so, as I alluded to earlier, the first textbook in 1687 was to help these uh, young people in the American colonies be able to hold government accountable to that which God had established. So there was absolute morality, still is, absolute moral oughts and ought nots. There was a Judeo-Christian value system in which we understood that we were sub deo et lege, under God and under law. In fact, that's etched on the Supreme Court door. Even President Eisenhower in 1954 said that under God was the characteristic and definitive factor in the American way of life. But yet today... Our young people especially can look outside, just peek out the window for a moment across the landscape of what has been left over after this this bonfire, if you will, that swept across the nation, burning away any fabric of civilization that was rooted in Judeo-Christian values. What we find now is a a federal government that no, no, no longer acknowledges God, does not support religion, doesn't support the church in any way, it seems, and is actually contributing to the removal of God from the public the public consciousness of all of this, and then wondering why the nation is falling apart. So then we as Christians are left to have to go step back for a moment and say, what's our role in this? We are citizens of another kingdom, but we're in this land called America. And for those of you listening, most of our audience is here in Colorado. So we're citizens within the state of Colorado, within the greater context of the United States of America. As Christians, what are we to do? How are we to think? How are we to operate within the spheres of government today? Because we can have a number of perspectives that divide us within the churches, and then we stop evangelizing. We stop doing the essentials of the church because we're so wrapped around the axle about these issues that we become divided and attacking brothers and sisters Hopefully now, Dr. Ford, we can give some clarity on this. I'll go through these, and as you feel led by the Lord to interject on that, I I believe from what Dr. Alex McFarland had taught me on this subject in apologetics, he breaks down at least what we consider to be six different perspectives of the ways Christians view government. I believe there's one right answer here, but I at least want to break down these six because I think we need at least need to examine them all. The first one is that government should compel a particular religion. Okay, that's that's one that's often comes out of this. I don't believe that's the right view, um, though we should see Christians in places of government. But when we find that the government is is behind a particular religious perspective, what happens with power is that men come into those places of power. What might start off as something good is often skewed because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We know that from history and certainly with the Roman Catholic Church and how it became the official 
Orthodox religion then of what was the final remnant of the Roman Empire after Constantine even, how the nation splits apart. One part of the politics moves over to Istanbul, Turkey today, which was known as Constantinople at that time. And then the rest falls under this the jurisdiction and authority of the church that's now both politically powerful and religiously powerful. And then corrupt men come to power and we see what happens with the Protestant Reformation and so forth. So we know that learning from history that until Jesus Christ comes, until he establishes his theocracy, we know that men are susceptible because they are prone to sin. They are filled with sin and immorality. And unless they are totally under the leadership of Jesus Christ in their life, the next level of leadership can give right into this amassing power to themselves. So government should not compel a particular religion or viewpoint religiously, but it doesn't mean that Christians can't occupy those spaces to point all glory back to God. There has to be accountability in this system. That's often one particular viewpoint. Uh, Another viewpoint uh, that comes out of this is that religion should be excluded from all government matters. (laughs) That somehow you just simply go, okay, that particular bucket, that sphere of influence, just Pull all Christendom right out of that. Don't pull all religious matters right out of it. Just turn it over to itself. Um, We know how that one goes. Exactly. So I'm going to be a a Christian on Sunday, and I'm going to bank that for the rest of the week and the rest of my dealings, and I'm going to pick that back up again on Sunday. It's it's essentially the same thing. Right, right. That somehow we can just leave it to its own power, and nothing bad can come of that. It results in total secularism. And that view gained popularity really in the 20th century when prayer was removed from schools in 1962. Uh, The Bible was taken out as a curriculum source, removed from public school libraries, anything of a Judeo-Christian value removed from the secular institutions as a whole. And we have now seen the byproduct of that. You can't do that. Uh, You you can't just simply turn these these areas of influence uh, over to a purely secular perspective and act like there's going to be no consequence on future generations. Of course, there will be. So again, we've already said that the first two are a wrong perspective, that government should be behind one particular religion, get behind that, and that there could be no consequences for that. No, there needs to be at least Christians influencing. We'll get back to that one in a moment. But religion should be excluded from all government matters. That's not the right, right. answer. Thirdly, we see that there are those who reject all government because it's evil. That's how they deem it. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, they'll twist that one, suggesting that all the earthly kingdoms and their authority are a direct result of submitting to and obeying Satan. So therefore, as Christians, we should have no, uh, we do not come under that jurisdiction. We don't come under that authority because it's all under Satan. And then they completely override the fact that 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13 call Christians even to submit to governing authorities and to do what is right. We'll come back to this. Hold on, because I know as you're <laughs> listening to this, you're saying, but what if they cause us to do something that doesn't align biblically? We'll come back to that in a moment. Right. But I want us to at least understand that the idea of rejecting all government because it's evil does not float with Scripture. And what we find in First Chronicles chapter 29 and Proverbs chapter 16 is that God is ruler over all things. So, yeah. and, and Dr. Ford, I think you've got a number here coming up. We're, let's go through some of these scriptures on this. I do. I love this one from Colossians 1, 16 to 17. And it reads, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Amen. How about Proverbs eight fifteen to 16? By me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, and all the judges of the earth. And Daniel two twenty one. He removes kings and raises up kings. Mm-hmm. And Daniel four seventeen, that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. Psalm seventy five seven reads, But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And then even Proverbs twenty one one, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Now, what we then look, what happens here is we look at the landscape and we go, but wait a minute, how did we end up with the leadership that we have today? We want to blame the leadership for all the problems that we have. We want to blame Governor Polis for everything. We want to blame Joe Biden for everything. What Jeremiah teaches us quite profoundly, it's an awesome study. When you go through Jeremiah, as you find that we have to reverse engineer this, that when the hearts of the people are wicked, when they have turned from obedience to God, the subsequent series of events that follow is that they are then given, (laughs) use that in quotes, wicked rulers. Wicked rulers then rule over them because the hearts of the people were wicked. So reverse engineering this, he says that I will give you honorable shepherds when the people return to him. So we, the people, have forgotten God. We, the people, have turned our hearts over to the lusts of the flesh, and then we end up with the types of leaders that we have because they're a direct reflection of our disobedience. And so while we want to blame Washington, D.C. for all of our problems, we need to take a good look in the mirror. And that's really what we're called to do in this. Yeah, especially because we have a form of government where we elect many of our leaders. So we are, we do have input. It's right. not like all these leaders are just appointed. They are a reflection of the things that we are looking for and sort of where we at and are at in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's right. And, and of course, we, we can blame, oh, well, lately we question the authenticity <laughs> right. of elections. But look, throughout America's 247-year history, we know that we have elected some pretty uh, interesting characters to the highest <laughs> office in our land uh, when, quite frankly, they have reflected poorly the values of God's uh, laws and and his ways. Uh, So, and that's not unlike uh, even Israel of old. When we look at how the kingdom divided in Israel to the north and Judah and Benjamin to the south, we had 10 tribes to the north in the nation of Israel and two tribes to the south. And the tribes of the north, they didn't have a single leader that honored God. That's right. And those to the south, uh, less than 10 honored God. I mean, you rarely can find a Hezekiah or a Josiah amongst the people who would lead like that and tear down the things that dishonor God. I wish that would certainly desire that to happen today. And we know that that will happen under Jesus Christ, our Lord. A fourth perspective that's often held is that government should not be of any concern to us, that somehow we're just to focus on evangelism, not on politics, and, and we just simply wash our hands of it, just focus on what we can do within Christendom, within the church, within our homes, within our places of work, just leave all the politics to God. Well, that particular viewpoint doesn't really hold water there either, because in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, we are told to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
that we're to live as salt and light amongst the unbelievers of the world, according to Matthew 5, 13 to 16. So we are to influence the society at large. And what we find is that if we wash our hands of that, well, no wonder these institutions of great influence on our children, on societies not yet even born, will be the result of the fact that we haven't done our job in the here and now that influence the institutions like government. Yeah, yeah, you get the feeling now of who's influencing who. That's right. I mean, it feels much more like uh, the Lord speaking to the churches in uh, the beginning of the book of Revelation, where we've lost our first love. Yeah, that's true. And then fifthly, we hear people say, well, government doesn't need religion. And that kind of comes back to what we had highlighted earlier. And there are Christians who seek political change without emphasizing the importance of salvation or sharing the gospel message with unbelievers. They think they can, Dr. Ford, to your point, check their faith at the door and just simply take some of the values they learn from Christendom and Judeo-Christian values and really use that to influence the, the political square. And that's not the right attitude either. Somehow you got to check your faith at the door. You can't. If you're truly a believer and you've been changed, you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. That means you have to think differently. You act differently. You don't just take the values. You are a Christian and you should carry that boldly. Yes, even into a public square, such as the political institutions of this nation. So we have to be a, a vested change agent, right? We have to give into that. Say, if we're truly changed, it's going to change everything around us. It doesn't matter what circle I'm influencing in whether right. it be a political one or the politics of my local business, right, my family. I, whether I'm a salesperson in that business, you're going to change the environment just by being a Christian. So you can't compartmentalize that. You don't leave Christendom at home and then simply take the values into your place of business. You're a Christian wherever you go. And I praise God for those bold Christians, even in a public square. So I think the right answer here is point number six that government should be influenced by Christians from the inside out. The Bible includes numerous examples of believers standing up for godly principles within the political realm to influence society. Let me give you a few examples. Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 all the way to chapter 47. How about Moses in Exodus chapter 8 or even the whole book of Daniel? (laughs) You look at that. Uh, of God raising up someone within the administrations of multiple administrations to influence, ultimately to protect Israel and lead them back out of captivity to rebuild the temple and ultimately to to uh, go back into the promised land and, and be readied for that. Now they would finally be ready to worship God there. Nehemiah, of course, great example. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah chapter 1 all the way to chapter 6. Mordecai. In Esther chapter 3, and you go about 8 to 10, even Esther herself, Esther chapter 2 to 5. We see John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3. How about Paul in Acts chapter 24 and even Romans chapter 1? He understood that he was a Roman citizen, but first and foremost, he was a Christian in Rome. He knew the politics of the land. He even appealed to Caesar. He knew how to be a change agent. You think about it, how long he was kept in, in Caesarea, when he was influencing even Agrippa and Festus, amongst others, he was constantly, he knew how to be a spokesperson for the Lord, even in political squares. Yeah, couldn't we argue that our founding fathers fall into that category? 
that, you know, it was their Christian beliefs that, that influenced how they behaved, the things that they did, how they uh, lived out their responsibilities and, and really sort of set the tone for the rest of the nation for the years to come. That's right. And, and we still learn from that and right? lean from that and, and understanding that we can be influencers in these places uh, of, of leadership and doing so without shame, without being afraid of being a Christian there. And you think about there are times when we are called to disobey government. That's That's a big one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see in Daniel chapter 3. Even Daniel himself, when he was cast into the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6, verse 24, because he refused to succumb and pray to the idol he was going to only pray to the God of heaven and earth, right? I mean, when it was that he could only, when it came time to choosing between <laughs> God and man, he was going to choose God. That's Esther right. went against the law when she chose to go to her husband, the king, and stop the killing of the Jewish people. Uh, we see Peter and John were commanded in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, yet they refused to quit communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. Even John the Baptist spoke out publicly against the leader's ruling of that day with regard to their immorality in Matthew chapter 14. There's a number of examples even in our societies. We see others who took a stand on these issues, but the conditions for disobedience, I think, are these. There are times when Christians will be led to stand against the rules of society, but only under conditions that threaten, number one, our ability to worship the Lord, to communicate the gospel, or to stand for the rights of those who are under oppression, right? It always has to come when one jurisdictional authority is being pushed under the authority of another. So the authority of government is still under the authority of God. It is still subdeo et lege. So when the rule of God is being challenged and saying, no, it must come now under the rule of government, when you must accept these things that are not of God, that is where we must put our foot down and say, no, I must obey God rather than men. Now, what is our right response in our final moment together? I believe that as we are called in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we are to pray for those in authority. We need to then learn about our candidates, stand on morality, meaning we need to stand on biblical Christian principles. And all Christians, I believe, should participate in government by using their right to vote and encouraging others to do likewise. We are told in Hosea chapter 8, 4, that they did not seek God for the leadership of the nations. We need to do that. And finally, some Christians need to serve in government. Don't be ashamed to do so. Don't be afraid to do so. So stand up like Isaiah and say, here I am, send me. And I believe it's all for such a time as this. We can learn a lot from scripture. We're just getting started. We're going to cover more about this topic, such as American exceptionalism next week. So tune in again. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. To listen to this broadcast and more, go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.